What a treat it is to join you in the middle of a series in Acts. Uh, This is missionary territory. Acts is a wonderful book for a missionary to be able to preach out of. And today we're in Acts 10, picking up partway through a story that Daryl launched us off on last week. So turn in your Bibles to Acts 10. And we'll pick it up in verse 9. Acts 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approached the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, now this story begins very innocently. A a man at the sixth hour, his name is Peter. The sixth hour would be about noon. He looks like he's waiting for lunch to be finished, and he uses that time to go up on the rooftop, a quiet place, to pray. But we know, because we know the rest of this passage, that something profound is about to happen, that God has already appeared in a vision to a man named Cornelius, and he sent people, and they're they're on the way to this place where Peter's staying. And we know, because we know how the story continues, that what will happen in these next several days will change the the course of salvation history, that the gospel will break out from just the the Jews, uh, this thousands of years of history of God's covenant with the Jewish people to open the doors to the Gentiles. And it's because of what happened in Acts Acts chapter 10 that you and I know the gospel today. So this is a, a profound moment that's about to happen, but it seems to begin very innocently. Now, this whole idea of the gospel going to the Gentiles is, is quite common to us, but we need to realize how radical it was in that day. In fact, as Peter went to the temple, which he went often, he would encounter this stone, which I'm going to show you. Uh, This was found in some archaeology that is done. You can find it in in a a museum in Jerusalem. But this stone said, no foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. This is written in Greek. It's not written in Hebrew. So it's written for us Gentiles who might come into the temple. Whoever is caught on himself... He, shall he put blame for the death which shall ensue? So here you have the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, the way into his presence through the sacrifice. And the Gentile, you and I, were forbidden to come close to the presence of God. The presence of God is off limits to Gentiles. But that is about to change in this chapter. That in, entire paradigm, thousands of years of prejudice will, will be broken. But in order to do that, God has to take Peter out of his comfort zone. You see, there are men on their way to visit Peter, but Peter's not ready to visit with them. Something needs to happen in him before he's ready for this assignment that God has for him. And we'll find in just a a few minutes that, that God has to take Peter out of his comfort zone to engage him in his in his mission. Out of his comfort zone. Now, if you would talk to Peter right here. I think if you told him, Peter, you're in a comfort zone and God needs to take you out of it, that Peter would have said, uh, you, you don't understand what I've just been through. Uh, do you remember that Pentecost came in Jerusalem? And I was the one that preached the gospel to all those people gathered there. I, I, I'm a bold, courageous man. Uh, do, do you remember that not long after that, I healed a lame beggar in the temple and then got pulled in to stand before the high priest where I denied Christ several months earlier and I stood and boldly proclaimed his resurrection? He, he'd probably say, uh, do you remember that I got thrown in prison and freed by an angel 
And then not long after that, I even, I even went so far as to go to Samaria and validate the work of God there. I think Peter would say, I am in no comfort zone right now. But he is. He has barriers that, that actually will prevent him from joining this mission of God. And I wonder if you and I have some barriers to entering God's mission today. Some places where we are in comfort zones that we don't realize. Some ways that God may be inviting us into his mission, and we might be initially resistant, just like Peter was. And so today, as we follow this text, we're going to try to, try to see how did God take Peter out of his comfort zone into an expanded part of his mission, and then ask the question, how is God doing that for us today? So that's kind of our, our question. And so he goes up to six hour to pray, and in verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing that, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by four corners uh, upon the earth. So how did God take us out of, his, out of our comfort zones? Well, the first thing he does is sometimes he interrupts our prayers. This is something that he's doing with Peter right here. He's talking to God, and then God starts talking to him. So we, we often think of prayer as uh, prayer is when we come into the presence of God and we present our requests, we praise him, we worship him, but we often don't think of prayer as a time where God might be talking to us. Uh, prayer is when we talk to him. But actually we'll find in, in Scripture that many of the most profound encounters people had with God happened when they were praying and God interrupts their prayer by speaking to them. You, you find this all over in the Bible. So do you expect God to sometimes interrupt your prayers with his message to you? Uh, do you stop sometimes when you're praying and listen or, or take note of God's interjection? He, he might be interrupting you half sentence, half thought with, with his message. Now, in this case, with Peter, it's, it's actually a vision. He goes into a trance and sees something. Uh, that's quite profound. We see that happen in Scripture. God can do that. It probably doesn't happen that often. That's never happened to me. But Jesus did say that I'm leaving you and I'm sending you my Holy Spirit. We do know that God is an active God. He's a living God. So as we come to church this morning, we're not just studying some it's not like an archaeological expedition where we're studying something that only happened in the past, but we serve a living God who breaks through to us today. And in John 16, 13, Jesus said, the spirit of, of truth will guide you into all truth. In Romans 8, 16, it says, his spirit testifies with our spirit. Well, what is that? Testifying with our spirit. In Galatians 5.18, it says, if you're led by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. And then in Galatians 5.25, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. In fact, you'll find a little bit later even that, um, that it seems like the instructions from the Spirit were very clear. Now, does that mean you will hear an audible voice or have a vision? About probably not, but somewhere in your Spirit, His Spirit will testify with you. His Spirit will communicate with your spirit to get your attention. And so it's important as, as you pray that you pay attention to the fact that God may be interrupting your prayer with specific instructions from him. In fact, I think God likes to interrupt our prayers. But we may sometimes go like 
like a fly buzzing, you know, get, get off, or like a noise from traffic beside us, we tune it out. It's important to stop and listen. Uh, about 10 years ago, our, our family put together a list of 10 people we were praying for their salvation. And uh, what's exciting is today, uh, I think it's six of those have put their trust in Christ. Um, took, took a long time. And one of, one of these on my list was a neighbor named Yarek, who lives right next door to us. And I began praying for his salvation and have prayed for him for 10 years, have had various conversations with him, but um, he's been quite closed. I don't see him very often. And, and about a year ago, I was, I was praying for him and God's spirit testified my spirit. Okay, don't know how it happens, but I just sense God saying, you need to uh, stop praying and invite him over for coffee. Now, not stop praying as in cease praying, <laughs> but uh, turn your prayer into action. And um, wow, that's, invite him over for coffee. Uh, I haven't talked to him in maybe six months. Uh, inviting people over to, their, to your home is much more common in the United States than it is in Czech. You, you really have to know someone quite well to invite them your home. Uh, You normally meet in other places. Uh, Well, what will I tell him? What will he think? Uh, He's interrupting my prayers. Or the same thing happened last fall, right in the middle of the lockdown, right before Christmas, we had a three-week stretch that opened up, and you could finally go to a coffee house for, I think they didn't, they, they wanted to not miss the Christmas shopping. So we were able to shop for three weeks right before Christmas, and then everything shut back down. And um, I was, during that time, I was just, I was just praying, and God brought to my mind a conversation I'd had in the summer with a, a man named Nabil in our town. He had come and kind of sat, stood on the, on the outside of an outreach we were doing with our church. And I, interrupt, I, I started talking with him and found out that he's from Yemen in the Czech Republic, a man from Yemen. But he fled the war there. And um, so he wanted to practice some of his English with me. I asked him some about God and his religious background. And he said very proudly, I'm a Muslim from one of the, the prestigious Muslim tribes of Yemen. We're the ones, and then he went on, I don't remember all of it, but some, something about, you know, we're the ones who were really truly faithful to Muhammad and carried it on. And so he was obviously very proud of, of uh, his Muslim background. And as I'm praying during those three weeks, I just really sense, sense the, the spirits say, contact Nabil and ask him out for coffee. Okay, that's an interruption, right? It's an interruption. And you can see what happens in this interruption. This is what happens with Peter is much more profound because the heavens open and something like a great sheet descended being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles, birds of the air, And there came a voice saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he'd seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. What's happening right here? Well, God is making Peter very uncomfortable. I mean, this whole vision for a faithful Jew is, is a very uncomfortable experience because he, he knows the, the clear text in Leviticus 11 that talks about the dietary laws. And there are words like 
of the animals that move about the ground, uh, these are unclean for you. So there was a mix of clean, but also some that were unclean. 11.13 says, These are the birds you are to detest and not eat because they're detestable. So it wasn't just like, hey, this might give you a stomach ache or there might be too many calories in this kind of meat. This is actually, this is detestable and you are supposed to detest them. And then 11.43, it says, do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourself unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. So the dietary laws were clear that those things were unclean and if you touched them, or came in contact with them, you became unclean yourself. They were detestable. You were supposed to separate yourself from them. And then three times God, who, who was the one who revealed this to Moses, is letting down this, this, uh, this sheet with all... Uh, this is extremely uncomfortable for Peter. God's pushing his boundaries. I, I wonder where we have um, some boundaries that... Maybe we think are from God, but aren't necessarily there. Because actually, God doesn't require him to eat. He's trying to get him ready to meet with Cornelius. But sometimes we have those boundaries too. Like, like we find that all of our friends are Christians, which is just wonderful. You don't get defiled if you don't have any non-Christian friends. You know, No unclean, you don't hear any bad language. You don't have to fight with anyone. But, but then we don't have any contact with lost people in our neighborhood or or in our, in our, our work. And, and we think maybe that we kind of feel like that, that that's, that's honoring to God to not defile ourselves with that which is defiled. And uh, maybe you have some neighbors that, um, I mean, they use curse words when you're around them. And they, um, they, uh, um, they smoke strange things and they use the word woke, you know, which that would be horrible. And uh, which is a new word that I'm finding out now that I'm in the States, right? Uh, <clears throat> They, they, they might even be, you know, be voting for someone different than you are. It's easy to just hold with the people that we feel comfortable with because those who, who they're, they're kind of defiled out there and they have some big problems and they say some crazy things. And yet if, if we're to get to the gospel, the gospel, to the lost, we actually have to sometimes come in contact, much closer contact. And I wonder what kind of uh, boundaries, barriers you have, rules maybe that you're operating by that, that God wants to break through to invite you into his mission. Sometimes our rules are our schedules, our patterns. This is how you spend your time. This is, this is who you talk to. This webs of relationships, ways of doing things. And when God put on my heart to meet with, meet with Yark, uh, I, I could just think of lots and lots of excuses. Uh, Yark is 68 and I'm called to work with young people. Okay, he's not in my target group. Easy. That's, that's just a nice, easy barrier. Um, uh, you, I, I tell people often that young people are particularly open to the gospel and older people aren't. And he's one of those, right? So why waste my time sharing the gospel with a 68-year-old person who uh, is... See, we just have these expectations, these rules. And then I, I started thinking through this coffee time with him and started thinking, how in the world are we going to talk about God? Like, I invite him over to coffee. What do I do next? Uh, he hasn't asked to meet. He hasn't asked to talk about God. And I run into these barriers in me that actually can keep me from, from moving forward. <laughs> when God brought this up with Nabil in those three weeks in the fall, uh, I, I went, he's Muslim. 
uh, duh, like that's really, those people are really hard to reach. Does anyone know that? And also, I'm not trained to reach Muslims. I'm working in Central and Eastern Europe. He's the one Muslim I know. So this is not something I'm practiced at. Um, Islam is the state religion of Yemen, uh, and I've just had one conversation with him. How in the world can we proceed any further? So those barriers. And here's what's one of the things that's going to happen to you is as God interrupts his prayer, as his spirit talks to you about his mission, which that's one of the... By the way, I think his spirit talks mostly about two things, about your transformation and his mission. So his spirit's going to be talking to you a lot about how you need to change and be more like him. And I think his spirit's going to be talking to you a lot about how he wants you to join his heart and his mission. So when he interrupts your prayers, expect them to be on these kinds of themes, right? Okay? So if he interrupts your prayers and starts putting on your heart someone who's on his heart, do you respond? Or do you brush that off like some interruption, like some crazy thing that's a sheet descending out of heaven? That's, I don't know what to do with that. I'm perplexed. Well, um, he was endlessly perplexed as to what the vision might be. And uh, behold, the men sent by Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who is called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, these men are looking for you. Pretty in clear instructions from the Spirit, aren't they? Uh, get out there and talk to them. And while Peter was pondering the vision, uh, he says, Behold, these men are looking to you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And the following day they entered Caesarea. So let me just, just paint a picture here. We'll go on to a slide. So you can kind of see where these places are. Joppa, if you visit Tel Aviv, Joppa is kind of like at the bottom of, in fact, I've jogged to Joppa down the coast of Tel Aviv. There it is right there. It was, it's called Jaffa now, not Joppa. And Caesarea is right up the coast about 40 miles. So I put it into Google and it said it'd take 12 hours to walk. It took Peter two days. That's about the distance. It's about two days travel. So that's why it says he got there the next day. But, but you don't see Caesarea come up much in Scripture. But if you lived there during that time and someone said Caesarea, you would, you would kind of go, oh, Caesarea. Because Caesarea was actually the largest city in Judea during that time. It was larger than Jerusalem. 125,000 people and only 80,000 in Jerusalem. The reason why you don't hear about it much in Scripture is this is the Roman stronghold. The Roman city, named after the emperor, where the governor, uh, Pilate, when he came up to Jerusalem during the Passover, came from Caesarea. That was his place where he hung out, and he felt a lot safer there than in Jerusalem. In fact, if we go on to this next slide, you'll see a little bit about, about the, the lower part of this is how Caesarea looks today. And there's this massive hippodrome, which is where the horses raided, ra, uh, ran. It wasn't hippos. They were, hippo means horse. And... Uh, <clears throat> And they raced these horses in this big track, and then there was a huge stadium. I mean, this is, this is like he's going to the seat of power. 
that the Roman garrison, the place where the, the governor of Judea is, uh, you, can see, you can see this huge um, harbor that's there. So as we just read, oh, he's going from Joppa to Caesarea. Oh, he's going from a, a nice, safe Jewish place into this, to, this, to the seat of paganism, the, the, the Roman occupier. Oh, no. Wow. So remember that as you're, as you're reading this, heading to the most prominent symbol of Roman population. Uh, of, of occupation, excuse me. And then they entered Caesarea. Okay, picture entering that city. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met them, fell down at his feet and worshipped them. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up too, for I am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. And by the way, this is really true because in the beginning of chapter 11, he, he gets called on the carpet because he's, he went day eight with a Jew. All right, this is, this is big time breaking of rules right now. Huge. And he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and, Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Well, what, what does he find? He, he finds he, he's going into this huge stronghold where God is not supposed to be, and God has been there quite a while. He's been doing a lot of work. And here's the amazing thing about God's mission is it's his mission, and, and he has no problem accomplishing his mission in any place, in any way, and he's very active, and there are all kinds of things going on around you that you're unaware of. You know, sometimes we just think something happens because we get some idea in our mind and press forward. God is so active in accomplishing his mission. And here's the second thing, how God gets you out of your comfort zone into his mission. He invites you into work he's already begun. So could it be that he's working in those crazy people who smoke weird things and say all the wrong words and don't look like they're, they're ungodly. But could it be that God is actually working there and preparing something? Uh, could it be that God, when God interrupts your schedule and sits you next to someone on the train or encourages you to invite your neighbor over? Or maybe even one of the rules we have is don't share the gospel with relatives because, you know, you won't get, make any progress there. You know, th think of your non-Christian relatives. Do you talk about Jesus with them? Or is, are there rules like, like you know, you, you might ruin that relationship? Could it be that God's already working there and you don't realize it? He's calling men and women to himself. And here's one of the things that, one of the things I love about grace is the emphasis here on the sovereignty of God. Oh, that's just, that's so amazing because scripture is so full of this. And, and you see, you just see his sovereignty all over this. God is working. But sometimes people can misunderstand sovereignty to mean that we just sit back and wait, that we just ask God to do all his thing and, and, and wait till he does it. 
But do you see this amazing connection of the sovereignty of God and the activity of man in obedience to the call of God, the work of the Spirit in our lives? That God could get his work done. He, he, could, he could save Cornelius without Peter, but he does all this work and says, Peter, come in. You know, come, come in to bring the, the message. The, uh, William Carey, when he went out to India, uh, people were strong on the sovereignty of God back then, and some of them pulled him aside and said, William, William, settle down, settle down. If God wants to save the heathen in India, he can very well do that without you. So, you know, don't, don't settle down. And yes, he, he can, but the pattern we see in Scripture is that he uses people. And that actually sovereignty should make us more active rather than less active because our confidence in the work of God gives us the courage and boldness to enter into situations where otherwise there would be no hope, right? Like if it was all on us, it's hopeless to march up to Caesarea Philippi. But if we're confident in the sovereign work of God, we become more active rather than less active because we expect that there's a lot going on that we can't see. And that's why in Romans 10, he says, how will they then call on him whom, whom they have not believed? How will they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And then it says, how beautiful are the feet. So God might be inviting you into places where he's already working. He's going to bring you in on it to, to actually share the message. And that's what happens in this passage with Peter. And then Peter goes on and says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in Every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, uh, you yourselves know, uh, uh, just a second, you yourselves know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee and after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of Jews and in Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day, made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who've been chosen of God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. You notice how quickly Peter gets to the core message? Like, let's, get, let's just get right to the gospel. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus and tell you about what he did. So Yarek said yes. Yes, when do you want to come over? I said, how about next week? Tuesday. Okay, great. And Yarek shows up in our kitchen. We sit and we talk. How you doing? He says, oh, you know, I've been hurting here and hurting here. I mean, when you get 68, that happens. And uh, and then, then we talked about some other things about his garden, about mine. And I'm thinking, you know, how in the world are we going to get to spiritual things? And look at what Peter does. He just jumps in. So I said, uh, I just told him, I said, Yark, I just got to tell you, I've been praying for you. And, um, and guys, God put my, on my heart to, to invite you over. I know that sounds really crazy because I don't know. Do you even believe in God? I'm, I'm interested. What do you think about God? And he says, I don't know if he exists or not. And we start talking about God. And uh, then, um, then I said, well, could I, could I tell you how a person begins a relationship with God? I just kind of jumped in and shared the whole plan of salvation with him sitting at, um, at our, our table. At the end of, end of that, I said, I, said, I said, what do you think? And he goes, wow, this is, this is really interesting. And uh, um, I, I said, are, are, 
would you be ready to make that decision today? And he goes, I, I probably need to find out some more. I said, I said, well, how about if you read the Gospel of John? And I said, do you have a Bible? And he said, uh, yeah, I have the one you gave me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember giving a Bible. I don't know when I gave him. Somewhere in that whole 10 years I was praying for him, I gave him a Bible. I said, have you read it? He says, yeah. I also read the book you wrote. I wrote a book on Father God. I don't know if any of you know about that. It's all about how to know God as Father. Somehow he got that book and he read it. You did? Really? Okay. Um, <laughs> could God be doing things that he doesn't tell you about? You know, like, like working in people's hearts and you don't even know it? And so I said, well, take that Bible that I gave you that I forgot I did. I don't know when I gave that to you. Um, and, and, and read the Gospel of John. Then we get, he said, can we get together again? I said, yeah, let's get together next week. So next week, he comes for coffee again. And, and I said, did you read, read John? He said, John? Oh, I couldn't remember which one it was. So I read Matthew and Mark and Luke. Is that okay? <laughs> I didn't get to John. All right, well, maybe that's fine. And, and then we went back to the plan of salvation. I said, I said York we could do this right now. He says, I don't, I don't know that prayer. I said, I'll, I'll pray it with you. Okay. Okay. And I, and I just, I, I sat there thinking, what would have happened if I had never asked that question? Like, I'm assuming that this man is far from God and not ready to put his faith in Christ. And he is ready for the question. Like, just ready for someone to tell him. Ready, just okay. And so we prayed together to trust Christ. And I've got a picture here that was taken... Um, we put it up here. This is my, oh, no, go back, go back. There's one before this. There he is. Okay. This is my 68-year-old neighbor about five minutes after he put his faith in Jesus. I said, we got to record this, and I took a selfie. So this is, this is the ark. You can, you know, people in check, they have, this is a smile. <laughs> smile big. You know, that's, it, that, that's, what, that's what a smile is in check. I got an American smile. He's got a nice Czech smile. Um, and now I have a new brother in the Lord, and we're studying the word together. Um, wow, you know, uh, but God had to kind of drag me into that. Like, like it, I, I was on my track, and, and he had to interrupt me to get me into his mission. And I, I wonder if God's doing that more than we realize. Like, he's doing more around us than we realize, and, and he's tapping our shoulders more often than we're aware of, and we're just kind of brushing that off because... It breaks our rules and interrupts our prayer and it doesn't, wasn't really, really in our plan. Um, well, and then look at what happens. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come from Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they remained them for several days. So here's the third thing. God, um, if, if you've got your notes in front of you, God responds to your obedience with demonstrations of his power. Holy Spirit falls on them. They start speaking in tongues. Now, we might look at this and go, speak in tongues? You know, does, does that mean that everyone who trusts Christ should speak in tongues immediately afterwards? Is that the demonstration that they really put their faith in God? Well, this sounds a little strange right here. And uh, there's some people, in fact, there's a Pentecostal denomination in, in Romania that would say, unless you've spoken in tongues, you aren't saved. 
because look at they'll take a passage like this and say, this is what happened. Now, one of the things about Acts is it's important to recognize that the gospel is breaking into new territory and also that these are descriptive rather than prescriptive passages. We do know that this can happen. It, it did. But there's special, there's special, uh, special circumstances around this. If you go back to uh, Mark, Matthew 16, Peter is given the keys to the kingdom. Do you remember that? God says, I'm going to build my church, but Peter, I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom. And, uh, and then in Acts 1.8, he says, you receive the power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So there are concentric circles of God's message breaking through to new territory. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And Peter was given a special job with keys of the kingdom to open those new territories for God. So now we're in the ends of the earth, the Gentile one. And Peter's opening it. And in each one of those door openings, there's a very, very clear manifestation of the power of God. The Holy Spirit falls on them and they speak in tongues, which is easy to, to correlate. It's all the same. Easy to observe. Uh, we find in Acts, in Acts 2 that these were tongues that people actually understood. They were saying, these people are speaking in my languages. So God is demonstrating his power in a unique way to say, I am putting my stamp of approval on the fact this is going to the Gentiles, which is going to be very important because you find in Acts 11, he goes back and they say, what did you do, Peter? You're messing things up. And he had to point to an absolutely clear manifestation of the power of God that he didn't engineer to say, God's behind this. Okay? So that's what's kind of what's happening here. But let me, let me pull out a principle. This may be unusual in the way it's happening here, but I think we can expect manifestations of the power of God in various ways. That God's power is going to be released. And look for him to show himself faithful in transforming power. Um, freeing people from bondage, from alcoholism, breaking them free from the bondage of pornography, repairing marriages, bringing light to people's minds who don't understand it all. That, that God's transforming power, that he follows our steps of obedience with his transforming power. And expect that he can do kind of anything he wants, right? But he's always going to be doing it very purposefully. In a, in a way to advance his, his kingdom. So um, expect his transforming power. So in December, I got together with Nabil, and here's a picture of our meeting. So we, you saw that earlier, you got ahead. So here's, here's my Muslim friend, Nabil, and we're meeting in a coffee house. And the only three weeks we could meet in a coffee house. And if you look a little bit farther, you can see my Bible open because uh, Nabil and I got together and I said, Nabil, tell me about Yemen. And he told me about Yemen. And I said, then you're a Muslim. Tell me about what that's like. Oh, I believe in God. I'm from this great tribe. And I said, what do you think of Jesus? He said, great prophet. So great, in fact, that he rose from the dead. Okay, we're on a good track here. Um, I said, what do you think about the Bible? Holy book. I believe it. Great. Okay, can I show you some more about what the Bible says about Jesus? And we were in John 1 about his deity and just a fabulous discussion. Going, really? Wow, that's amazing. And uh, fabulous discussion with him. And at the end, I said, Novel, um, I'm, I'm telling you this because I said, because I know you believe in God. He says, I do. And I said, and I know you hear God's voice because I believe he does. And he said, I do. And I said, so I want you to hear what he's saying about his son and about how his son is the way to, to, to reconciliation with the father. He says, wow, this is great. I got I to gotta, I gotta listen harder to what he's saying to me. 
See, I'm, I'm expecting the transforming power of God, right? That this is more than just a discussion, but actually God himself, if he's revealing himself, will be breaking through the darkness and actually speaking to Nabil through his word, through various what he, he did with Cornelius, revealing himself, right? Showing himself active. This is not just about convincing someone intellectually, but it's about helping them respond to the pursuit of God, which I'm expecting will be on his life. So we had, we had a, a great talk. I gave him a Bible. He promised to start reading. And then we locked down again and literally have not been able to meet with anybody till we got on the plane to here. But yesterday I got a text from Nabil. Yesterday. And he said, Dave, it's opened up again. When can we meet? All right. And I'm praying for Nabil's salvation because I'm expecting that, that the obedience of his servant, if I'll be obedient, that I'm going to see God's transforming power in some way. Now, I have no guarantee that Nabil will put his faith in God, but what an adventure to get pulled into his mission. So you can be praying next week. I'm going to be sitting together again with, he's totally out of my cargoes on him. He's, he's not young. He's not Eastern European. He's Muslim. And uh, I think God's calling himself. And I'm thrilled that I get to be part of proclaiming that message to him. So God does a couple things. He, um, he calls us out of his comfort, our comfort zones and in his mission by interrupting uh, our, our prayers and by, by confronting our boundaries. He, uh, he invites us into work that he's already begun and he responds to our obedience with demonstrations of his transforming power. And I've given you examples about sharing the gospel, but I think this also applies to other areas of, of our lives. In 1983, Connie was a young believer. She just trusted Christ a couple years before, going to a college program at a Baptist church in, in uh, Vancouver, Washington. And uh, she was away at college, came back and found out her whole college group was going to something called KC83, which was a missions conference. And they said, Connie, would you go along? And, and she said, uh, no, don't, don't. How much does this cost? And it costs a lot of money. No, I don't have money. Well, a lot of the college students didn't have money. And uh, after one of the services, someone came up to Nelson Brown, who was another college student there and gave him $500 and said, Nelson, I want to give you this money so you can go to this missions conference. Except that Nelson had been saving for a year to go there. So he already had his $500. Now, what would you do if someone said, I'll pay for your trip and you've been saving for it? You might go, great, I will put that money towards my next semester, right? I can gladly redirect that in other ways. But Nelson stopped and he said, God, what do you want me to do with this gift that was given to me? And he thought about his friend Connie, who also didn't have enough money. And he passed that $500 on to her. These are little, little steps of obedience, like in response to God's spirit working in our heart, guiding us into all truth. And, and uh, that, wow, that, that $500, that was actually a lot back in 1983, believe it or not. Uh, <clears throat> so Connie went to KC83. And at KC83, God called her into missions. We met there, by the way, at KC83. She, there we met, and, and, and I was doing a summer ministry, and I said, why don't you come and join us? She came and joined a team I was leading. We got to know each other. Okay, the rest is history. Uh, wonderful, amazing history. But Connie is married. I, I, my wife is Connie, and, uh, and so we're married, and she's been in missions for 30-some years, 
because Nelson took a step of obedience to do a crazy thing that broke his boundaries and pass on a gift that God was telling him not to keep for himself, that $500. And uh, three weeks ago, Nelson Brown went to be with Jesus. Three weeks ago. And, you know, death is facing all of us. Like, it's, it could come quick. He's, he's not that, wasn't that old. He's in heaven now. And a lot of what he built here on this life is gone. But everything he did for Jesus will last. Right? That step of obedience to give Connie $500, that was an eternal step of obedience because he stepped into the sovereign mission of God. Whenever we step into the sovereign mission of God, we, it's like we, we go out of time into eternity and everything we do, it lasts, it matters, it stays. And so I can think, of, I don't know, Nelson in heaven right now, looking back over what lasted from his life. And he's going to see a step of obedience to pass on $500 and join the mission of God. And I wonder how God's interrupting you right now. I wonder how he's stopping you in your prayers. I wonder how he's pushing on your comfort zones. Uh, I wonder what excuses you have. I wonder if you're expecting that God's active around you, expecting that you're going to experience his transforming power. I wonder if you're letting him call you out of your comfort zone and into his mission for his glory. Let me just close this in prayer. Father, thank you for this amazing story. And this is like so profound, but you're involved in stories like that all around us every day. I thank you that you are sovereignly accomplishing your mission. I thank you that you invite us to join you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.